Welcome to episode 305 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I've spent the last two years honing the craft of designing intentional, engaging online events. And that's why I'm hosting a live online facilitation and purpose-first design workshop. This is essential learning for speakers, trainers, facilitators, and anyone who wants to create memorable, actionable, intentional online experiences. Join me on November 2nd for a two-hour session where we'll design together a thoughtful, deliberate online event focused on purpose, intent, and the expectations of your participants. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash better zoom for the online facilitation and purpose first design workshop. Let's work together to make your next online session one that will not just be attended, it will be unforgettable. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest has a mission to inspire a more connected, compassionate, and collaborative world. She shows people how to have a better conversation with themselves and others so they can make an even bigger difference in our world. Through the power of authentic connection and strengthening our mental fitness, she knows we can build even better businesses, communities, and nations together. She's a mentor, speaker, and certified mental fitness coach. She's written for regional and national magazines since 2006 and has published several books, including Do Talk to Strangers, How to Connect with Anyone, Anywhere, The Do Talk to Strangers Travel Toolkit, and most recently, How to Talk to Strangers to Decrease Anxiety, Build Confidence, and Make a Bigger Difference in the World. Please join me in welcoming Carrie Phipps. Hi, Robbie. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Thanks so much for joining us from your place in Dubbo, South Wales, Australia. Love the uh, ability to connect across the world this way. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? We, we're all leaders, aren't we? We all impact people so much more than we realize. And uh, leadership is really, you know, look around and you might not see actually so many people that you, that you lead, that you influence. But just by being you, you're having an impact. So it's like, what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of impact do you want to have? And it's from the smallest things. Do you see someone walking ahead of you and they straighten their posture and you just automatically do it too? And then you think, oh, wow, I just was affected by that person. <laughs> we lead just by showing up and being um, being human. And uh, so it's something that we do need to be really mindful of, like, how do I lead? How do I influence? And I love that you're asking about this because so many people say, well, I'm not a leader um, because we think it has to be a title. We think there has to be like, you know, 50 or 100 or like 20,000 people following, but we actually don't know that ripple effect that we create. So so when did I realise that I had uh, leadership skills? I think I was thrown into leadership roles when I was quite young. I worked in a dental surgery from the age of 17 and very quickly because of the high turnover, I was the one training and interviewing girls for new jobs and mentoring them. And so I wouldn't have called it leadership at the time, but I was in charge. 
you know, in a, in a field that I was still relatively new to. So I think there's so many, um, so many instances where if we review our career journey, so many times where we influenced others and uh, hopefully mostly for the good and uh, we can always learn from both uh, our failings and our successes in leadership. So, yeah, I think it's been an ongoing unfolding of awareness. Yeah, I love how you tied leadership with influence because, and, and that it's on a personal scale, it doesn't always have to be on this massive 20,000 follower scale. And the, even the example, even as you said, you know, the person straightens up, uh, you know, their posture, like I found myself straightening up my posture in response to what you said. Um, so we, we should be aware of the influence we're having so that we're using it for good. And, um, you know, it sounds like you were thrown into a leadership, I guess you wouldn't call it an opportunity, um, a, a sort of do or, or die moment. But I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to, to roll the clock back even a little further. Like, what were you like on, on the playground? You know, were you organizing your friends or did you run for office when you were in, you know, in, uh, in high school? Like, what kind of kid were you? How did, how did your peers and your teachers perceive you? Okay, so peers, so in primary school, I was I was kind of shy. Well, from pretty early on, there was there was someone at school, an influence, who told the other girls they were not allowed to be my friend. So I was quite isolated. But my dad was like really the coolest dad at school. He built the school playground equipment, the we call them monkey bars, you know, you swing from one to the other. And you know, he would always bring like a calf or a um, a horse to the school fete so everyone could have a ride. And, uh, you know, so I think the farm was a playground and, you know, we often invited friends out. And, uh, of course, I would have friends out and we were put to work. We had to work hard and then we would go and play hard. <laughs> so Dad had trapezes and it was like a circus, um, you know, a flying fox, uh, like a, I'm not sure, if you're familiar with that, because, I, don't, you know, sometimes we don't know if our words are kind of local to our country or our culture. Um, but, yeah, we'd zip across like a zip line across, some, um, you know, a, a lake or across the pool in the backyard. So lots of fun things. But um, it was pretty early on that I realised that I wanted people to feel included. And so, like, on the school bus when, you know, someone younger was being teased or isolated then I'd go and sit with them and I just wanted to protect people from the bullies I suppose and um but I wasn't one to stand up against the bullies I just wanted to quietly reassure people and you know I experienced that as well um by girls that were younger than me that didn't get the memo from you know the girls my age that they weren't allowed to be friends they just decided they would be anyway which was beautiful so I guess those experience has really shaped how I look out for people who are kind of on the outside. I can yeah. really appreciate that. I mean, uh, to have that kind of experience at such a young age where, you know, your peers sort of, for whatever reason, decide you're not in and then you have to deal with that. But then on the other side, you have this parent who is, I mean, sounds like really one of the coolest dads I've ever heard about <laughs> um, <laughs> creating opportunities, both on school property, as well as on the farm for you to do things that like most kids don't have access to on a regular basis. So really wild adventure time that, you know, makes people want to be like, well, 
I don't know what those rules are about not hanging out with you because I really, I really want to hang out with you because you've got a cool dad. Um, But the empathy, it sounds like it, it left you with so that you wouldn't want that to happen to other people. You're making me think about in sixth grade, for whatever reason, there was someone in my grade who got really um, ostracized and, and pushed out of, she had been one of the, the cool kids and I, I was like, I don't get it. And I never cared, you know, like, and the, like, to me, the rules, like I was, I wasn't going to fit in regardless. So I didn't, you know, I was like, I'm not even trying here. <laughs> um, so I'll sit with you, you know? So um, it's just, it's just so interesting um, how we have these moments in our lives and how it makes us more aware of what, what is inclusion what does being welcoming actually mean in, in a tangible way? And for you, it didn't sound like you wanted to be, you know, picking a fight with the bully, but you wanted to just be a compassionate, you know, caring friend who was able to, to be physically there um, with somebody. And I, and I imagine that, that you then bring that with you. you. You've sort of found a career path really quickly to be 17 and employed in, in a career path that had like a particular, you know, this is, this is what you do every year. Um, how quickly did you know that was a thing you wanted to do? Was that something was like you was a 12 year old Carrie? Like, I know what I want to do when I grow up. Well, so my younger brother is six years younger. So when I was 12, no, when I was 10 and he was four, I was teaching him maths and, uh, you know, I was, I was practicing getting him ready for school. And, uh, you know, mum always thought I'd be a teacher and, you know, and now in a lot of ways I am. But um, I, I didn't know at the age of 12 that my teenage years would be quite derailed. And um, so I actually left school at 15 because I was kind of bullied out of there. It was, you know, there was a fair bit of trauma there. So I just wanted to get out of town. So my parents have a farm near a small town and Dubbo is kind of the big smoke. That's what we call it. You know, that's the big city. <laughs> in the country, but it's still like, you know, 45,000 people. Uh, but it's five hours, six hours drive to Sydney. So um, that's probably, you know, somewhere that your listeners might be more familiar with. So I just wanted to get to Dubbo and, you know, start living a grown-up life because, you know, it was not working for me at home. Um, not so much at home, but, you know, our local community. So yeah, I guess I wanted to uh, just start working and start being a grown-up. And uh, so I really loved that. I got that job at the dental surgery. And really it was because of my family name. I walked in there with my resume that I'd created, you know, on one sheet of paper and went in to offer my um, services. You know, I'm available to work. And the dentist who came out to meet me had known my dad since he was a baby and he'd, um, you know, been my grandparents' dentist and my dad's dentist. So I was just hired on the spot, I think, because of my family name. <laughs> that's wow. That's networking right there. Like that's a networking yeah. story with family ties and all of that. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, I thank you so much for sharing about this difficult thing happening in school because, you know, I know of you as you are today and you're this like successful person. I mean, I just listed some of your credentials at the beginning of this interview. And so I think it's always helpful to see more of who people were because the people who are listening can think, oh, well, I also had a difficult childhood for any number of reasons. 
And, you know, I can find my way forward. Like I can hear this story and think, oh, there's something I can, I can do from this, or I wouldn't, I, I see myself in this story and here's what I did. And so I just think that makes your success even more um, worth celebrating. And also it's sort of interesting to hear how it all happened. And it wasn't just this instantaneous thing. I mean, we're right now we're in the point of the story where you're basically, you know, 20 and working in dental surgery. And it's like, well, that's not what I think of you when I think of you. Yeah. Um, and you also have all these, um, all this content, and all these books around do talk to strangers. And for someone who was bullied out of school, where, where people that you knew were not treating you well, and you had all this trust broken. It's interesting that you've come out of this with a lean into the people in the world, like attitude, like people and relationships will help you when that wasn't the case. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what was that journey for you? How did you heal enough? I mean, from that earlier trauma to like be talking up, how do we should all talk to each other? Like what happens after dental surgery? Like give us, give us a little bit of transition here. Yeah. Well, I guess, you yeah. know, I just have to mention one thing about the dental surgery and that's where I learned to hold hands with strangers, you know, and realize that, that a small interaction can be incredibly calming for somebody can be really reassuring. And, uh, you know, but it's later that I've reflected on these things, but every function I go to actually in the last two years, every funeral that I've been to in town, my boss and his wife are there and they're always introducing me to people and saying, oh, Kerry worked in the surgery with us. And, and, uh, and Mr. McKay says, you know, oh, they were good times, Kerry, they were good times. <laughs> it's so lovely. But I did go from there to, because I got married and I thought, you know, the dental surgery was really full on. It was like 8 a.m. till 6 p.m., 6.30, depending on emergencies. And, and it was on my feet all day and flat out. And so I got married and I'm thinking, well, you know, I could be, you know, a little bit domestic and a lady of leisure, <laughs> maybe work part-time. And um, so I kept going back to the surgery when they were short-staffed and training more staff, but I was also working part-time at a bank. And that was great, except that teenagers would come in to see me after school and they'd be in tears and they'd want to talk to me. And I'm like, we're closing in half an hour. Can you come back then and we'll go and have a milkshake? And I found myself sitting at the bank looking out into the street and thinking there's people out there. There's, you know, I want to, I want to be helping people in a meaningful way, not going, you know, like, oh, here's your cash. Like, would you like a term deposit with that? Would you like a home loan with that? You know, there started to become this pressure in the bank to, you know, to upsell, to cross sell. And uh, I was just feeling like this is not where I need to be. And uh, I spent most of the next seven years pretty much volunteering I was paid for less than a day a week, but it was a full-time job and it was more than full-time um, working with teenagers and families and right across the region. And I had so many opportunities to grow and to connect with other leaders in, um, in youth work right across the state and across Australia. And that was, um, that was deeply rewarding in that I learned so much about just sitting with people in their pain or in their detoxing um, until I was pregnant with my son and I was sitting with a girl who was coming down off some kind of drugs that she'd been shooting up. And, and I said, like, we need to get other help for you. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to have a baby and I'm not going to be able to sit up through the night. And, 
that was that was really hard because she took it personally you know you don't you don't want me anymore and I'm like no I adore you but I just we can't do this alone you know we need to bring in other supports and yeah so having a baby was um just such an amazing turning point very tough turning point for for a few years because I was still in that role but um you know trying to build a team and connect with more people and when my son was four is when I started coaching, but when he was three, I completely hit the wall. I was uh, you know, chronic burnout, I had chronic fatigue. I had some virus from Singapore that like I was swollen from, from, you know, above my ears right down to my collarbone. I was like, you know, those, uh, you know, puffer fish or, you know, monkeys that, that puff out. Yeah. It was like that. It was, it was awful. My husband wanted to take a photo uh, and I was like, no, no, never. Um, now I wish I had that photo. <laughs> so it was like, was it really that? Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad my husband's there to remind me. I didn't make that up. That was just awful. Um, yeah, but when I, so I had a year of recovering. And at the beginning of that year, my doctors told me that I probably wouldn't work for five or 10 years. And they, the way they said it too, it was just, they just wrote me off. It's just like, oh, well, this is just how it is. But they couldn't really diagnose because chronic chronic burnout um, and even chronic fatigue, they said, you know, if you tick more than seven of these boxes on this questionnaire, then, you know, it's chronic fatigue. And like I ticked about 10 and they went, well, you know, maybe you've got chronic fatigue. It's like, well, I can't function. <laughs> you know, I just couldn't, yeah. couldn't really do much at all. But, um, but, you know, I want to kind of speed through this story because, you know, it gets better. But I know it's valuable also to share this because people go, oh, really? Is there life beyond burnout? Is there life beyond chronic fatigue? I, I think burnout is, I'm so grateful that you are willing to share this part because it, we're talking a lot about it lately. I mean, I think everyone's feeling levels of stress uh, globally. We are, we are all feeling a certain amount of stress because of the way the world has been and continues to shift the ground you know, beneath our feet is not steady. And it sounds like you were trying to do all the things and especially as a young parent, like, uh, you know, with, with, you know, new parent and trying to hold on to this, like really, you know, difficult job that you were responsible for people's lives in a way, like, mm -hmm. you know, this is a very personal role that you are playing people's lives and they're, they need that support, but you're also a parent. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, it's the classical spread too thin. You know, yeah. you were trying to be all things, all people, except for yourself. Yeah. And um, to, for you to be able to bounce back in a year, I know that when you're in it, that sounds like forever. But in the scheme of things, I mean, that wasn't five to 10 years of you, you know, having to stay home and, and deal with chronic pain and chronic fatigue and all these other things. So when did you start to realize that you had coaching ability? Because you had been playing a coach therapist type role in this volunteer position, clearly, you know, whether it was a mentor, whatever you might have called that. Um, but, you know, when you realize like, I need help, oh, I also can help others in a more meaningful way and I can get paid. Cause that was the other thing is like, you know, it's not sustainable. You can't have this huge impact on the world when you don't get paid. Cause at some point this is too much. Yeah. Um, so, it sounds like you that year was a lot of mental shifts, not just physical ailments that you were having to deal with. Like what helped get you out of that funk 
And that word funk is like not meant to diminish the experience because it probably doesn't quite capture it. But how did you move through that space to the next thing? Yeah, such a great question. And there was a few things, but that moment in the doctor's office when they said, you know, you won't work for five or 10 years, I just rebelled against that. I'm like, no way. Like I, I know I'm on the planet for a purpose. I don't know what that is right now, but I know that it's not to spend the next five or 10 years on the couch. You know, I'm not going to be lying around. Um, so, so I started, you know, investigating natural therapies and I, I, I got massage like twice a week. This is, I mean, it sounds luxurious, but this was like muscle therapy and they were like getting all these toxins out of my system and it was so painful, but that was part of it. And, um, you know, learning from nutritionists and just kind of, yeah, tapping into how can I help my body heal? Because our body wants to heal, but if we just throw drugs in, it shuts down our body's ability to heal itself. So there's a lot of learning around that and, uh, you know, a lot of soul searching and like, where do I go from here? And, you know, I thought I'd be serving this community for life and, um, you know, and there was the occasional, you know, little bit of income, but we were just going backwards. My husband was working in real estate, so that kind of helped. But, um, yeah, I'm like, how do I how do I do this? How do I more effectively help people? And when I came across coaching, well, it was just like a, <laughs> I feel like it was just a divine whisper because I didn't think I'd heard of it, but it was it just came to me while I was out for a walk. And so I asked my husband about it. I said, can you Google this? And, um, you know, I was actually in the bath and I just went, Hey, can you Google coaching? <laughs> See what comes up. And he's like, yeah, I found a few pages. So I was like, okay, cool. So I went and had a look. And there was like one coaching school in the US and there was one in Australia and the Australian one, it just spoke to me. Like the words on the website were like straight out of my journal. I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is powerful. I've got a process to help people move forward and make a difference in a measurable way. So I went to Sydney to go to an information night and I just went in there going, I just want to clear yes or no about, you know, because I knew that I wasn't in the best thinking space. I didn't want to get, um, you know, caught up with some bright, shiny object that was not, yeah, not wow. what I hoped. And it was such a profound yes. I left that night. Um, my granddad came with me because he didn't want, you know, his granddaughter in the city at night being a country girl. So he was in his late 80s at the time. And he came with me, sat in on the seminar. And then he told me that he he did Dale Carnegie training. And uh, so I've got these books um, literally that were printed in the late 1940s. And um, grandma covered them with plastic. So it was like how to stop worrying and start living. And uh, another one which has been uh, renamed, probably, um, you know, rewritten a little since then, but it was called Influencing like, Public Speaking and Influencing Men in Business. <laughs> so you get a gist of how old that was. So, um, yeah, I, so I started coaching. But, so I started working with a coach in um, probably – August, September, and the coach training started in November. And by the end of the year. I'm curious what year that is. Oh, 2004. Okay. So that's just trying to give us some context. This is not quite 20 years ago. Um, yeah. So interesting. I wanted to ask that question because coaching in a business sense really was very new. Um, I, uh, I've had the, the, the ability to interview, um, Melinda Cohen, who uh, runs Coaches Council, and she started coaching in the early aughts, early 2000s. 
Um, I think the word ought is very strange. I like to weave it in now and again. <laughs> <laughs> so in the early 2000s, and um, and she had a lot of success early on. And her she built a whole business because she was really good at process. And her coaches said, whoa, the things you're doing, no one knows how to do that. And she's like, what do you mean? This is the only way to run a business. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but no one does that. Um, and no one really understood the business of, of being a coach. So it makes sense that you were having that, like, is this a thing? But I also wanted to underscore the intuitive walk that you went on a walk. And this is, you know, before we were glued to our cell phones mm -hmm. and like we were allowing our brains to just be and your brain will work out the solution in a way that, you know, we aren't right now giving ourselves as much space to do. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm stuck on a problem, think about what the question is that you want answered and then, you know, make note that you're in a safe place and then just go on an intuitive walk and, and see like what comes to you. Um, which is also now, I mean, something that we're teaching people how to do, but you already had that sort of is a built in, it happened. Um, and then you, you also hired a coach that I want to say that was the other thing I really liked about your story is because if you want to be something like experiencing the benefits of it helps. And I also think every coach needs a coach because you're going to otherwise really stagnate. <laughs> you're not going to grow. Yes. Um, so, okay. I, I was interjecting to try to get a, a sense of the timeline to underscore some of those points. Did you know who you wanted to coach and what kind of coaching you want to do? Cause it's quite broad these days. What did you think you were doing when you were first starting this? Like, what was the kind of coaching or the kind of person you wanted to help at that time? You know, it wasn't uh, the, the niching conversations came up later. And, um, and to be honest, have always frustrated me because, you know, my first client was a, a friend that I just wanted to do a practice session with. And she said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, so how do I do more? And I went, well, that's in my class this week. So let me get back to you. <laughs> so it was like, you know, that practice. And, um, and she said, well, I want to work with you. And I said, well, I feel like it's, it's something that you want to invest in. Like if you just do it for free, then you're not as invested in the goals. But, um, you know, she was a university student. And so she said, um, you know, she gets that she wanted it to be, you know, a stretch but achievable, just like her goals. So she said, could I pay $10 a week? And I was like, sure. And then the next um, the next friend I talked to, who was a successful farmer, he said, when I called him and I told him, he said, I feel like I knew you were going to say that. He said, that is so perfect for you. Whereas everyone else, when I'd say, you know, like I'm a, I'm a coach, they're like, oh, that's amazing. That's so you. And then, but what is it? Because it was a completely new industry. And, um, yeah, but this farmer just went, um, oh, so it'd have to be a hundred bucks a session at least. And, um, and I was like, oh, oh, but I couldn't charge you that. And he's like, yeah, you can. And so he just got his checkbook and writes out a check. <laughs> Amazing. Like, that's a lot oh, of money for 20 years ago too. Like yeah. relatively to today, that's, yeah. that's, wow, that's a good amount of money. Yeah. 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 And I think most coaches were charging maybe $50 a session or something. So, um, yeah, he was just amazing and he wrote me the most beautiful testimonial later and said, uh, kind of like a letter of reference, you know, back in the day, it'd be like, to whom it may concern, uh, you know, when Kerry told me that she was coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I would be only too pleased to recommend, to help others by recommending Kerry to them. 
And Aww. I went, ah, oh, he just gets what it's about. You yeah. know, he, um, and he's, he's doing extraordinary things now. And um, it's really, yeah, it's been amazing to, to keep in touch. So, um, yeah, it was very new. And I just was talking, like if you'd go out for dinner with people and say, what are you doing now? And I dropped the word life coach, like almost instantly because people <laughs> had really funny responses to it. Like, um, oh, so you're going to tell me what to do with my life. And it's like, no, it's not about that at all. It's like I'm I'm on a journey, but I'm asking you questions to help you focus on what matters most to you. And uh, or they'd say, oh, so you're like Tony Robbins. I'm like, no, I'm like me. Um, and I didn't really know much about Tony Robbins at the time, but I'm like, no, it's it's so unique because it's it's like this sacred space. I'm asking you questions about what you're bringing to the table. So there's no there's no copy paste in this. Like there was a great process you know, to to help me keep my thinking and opinions and ideas out of it and to keep, you know, the client's ideas on the table. You know, so they're focused on their ideas and I'm focused on their thinking and how can I support them to have, you know, clear intuitive thinking and be listening to themselves think. So, um, you know, as I said earlier, or you read in, the, um, in your introduction, I help people have better conversations with themselves and others. Yeah. And often... You know, you can just be too busy rushing through life and not having conversation with yourself or not aware of the unconscious conversation you're having with yourself, which could be, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not experienced enough, I'm not eloquent enough, I'm not as good as them. And all of those conversations hold you back from connecting with people. I'm so, curious um, I'm curious about how it became a business because you already had, had at that point many years of volunteering or mostly volunteering your time. Yeah. And so like, it's difficult from that space to then think about charging, you know, yeah. and like your friend says, I'll give you 10 bucks and you're like, all right, you know, it's like totally not market rate. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause you're like, I'm just trying this all out. But at some point, you know, you've learned that you can't just keep doing these for free cause you hit the wall and you burn out. How did you shift to being a business? Like, were you around other entrepreneurs? Cause like, even coaches could be, it's like therapists, they could work for companies or they could, you know, create their own business. So how did you think about that piece of, of setting up a business and, and determining like who you were, who you most wanted to attract? I, I get the whole niche piece is a little different, but like who would be the best fit for you and all, all those pieces, were, were there people around you, mentoring you, um, coaching you, supporting you? Well, yeah, great questions. So, so that farmer was just, such a gift to me in that he shifted my thinking, like he made me think bigger. But I, I remember saying to my husband, well, you know, I kind of have to have a business because there weren't companies hiring coaches at that time. So, and because I worked with a coach before I did the training and she just happened, my coach, because she was an hour and a half drive from here, you know, I didn't think that I could do it on the phone um, and I didn't want to go to Sydney every week. So I'm driving, you know, towards Sydney, an hour and a half, uh, to see my coach who happened to be the global head of training for the coaching company. And she um, was the trainer on my course in Sydney a few months later. So one of my goals from the beginning with her was to set up a coaching business. Like, so I'm going to do this thing that I have no idea what this looks like, but I know that this is my path. I know that I was born to coach people. And this is the feedback that I got from people like, oh my gosh, you're born for this. And, uh, you know, oh, you're such a good listener. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning to suspend judgment, to suspend my ideas and really ask the questions that 
have that person in the driver's seat. Um, so there was mentoring through the coaching community. There was also, like, I signed up for all of the training, not just the intensive coach training, which was like three months. It was three days face-to-face in Sydney and then telecalls. This is before Zoom. And I, I still love just a phone call because you're really tuned in. You're not multitasking on your computer. You're just in the conversation. And the trainer at any moment could just go, Robbie, can you step in and ask the next question? So if you were multitasking, you'd be like, I'm sorry, where are we at? You know, you had to be so ready to intuitively ask the client the next question. So absolutely loved the training, but there was a course that was called Build Your Practice. And it was a six-week course literally around, you know, a business building framework. And so because I I was just in boots and all, I did all the training and then the trainers asked me to come back as a, an assistant trainer, just bring my enthusiasm. So I did build your practice six times as an assistant trainer or as a trainer. Um, so, <laughs> so it was really good to be having this conversation about, uh, you know, it was tips. Uh, there was uh, exercises like, okay, just write down like 15 free ways of marketing, you know, free ways of getting your, um, your business out there. And, uh, yeah, it was so useful to be taking other coaches on that journey as well. So really, I guess I was coaching other entrepreneurs. I, Because of my involvement in the coaching community, I became a coach of coaches and, and they had all different stories. So one of my clients was writing a book and it's like, I don't have to have written a book to be coaching an author because it's her ideas and, you know, and I'm asking her about the research she needs to do, who she's going to talk, who is she going to talk to and, like now I will be saying to a client, can I just put my mentoring hat on? <laughs> Let's take the coach hat off, mentoring hat on, just so I can share with you some of the things that, you know, can fast track the, the publishing process or, uh, you know, but I'm very clear on what the conversation is. And, yeah, so it's just been this growing journey of, of coaching entrepreneurs and being in regional Australia and people would ask me about that. So then um, my second book became a celebration of regional entrepreneurs because people would say, but Kerry, how can you build an international business when you're from Dubbo? I'm like, well, you know, we have the internet. We have an airport five minutes from home. (laughs) You know, like country life is amazing. We have like all the opportunities and some more than in the capital cities. There's some things that we don't have access to, but you can build the life and business you want in the location you want. And and now we, we see that so much more. Yeah. But... But it, it was not just about the location. It was about the conversation that we had with ourselves. So as a country girl, I had this moment in Singapore where I was representing the coaching companies, now known as the Neuro Leadership Institute. And I'm standing there and I said to David Rock, the founder, um, like, should somebody else be introducing you? Like, I don't want to tread on any toes. And he says, Kerry, there are no toes. Just do it. You know, it's yours. Something like that. And so <laughs> I call that my step up moment because I just had to step up and welcome this room full of strangers in Singapore. And, you know, David had briefed me on saying things like, you know, turning off your your cell phone or your handphone, whereas in Australia we call it your mobile. And, uh, you know, just a couple of things like that. So, but I had to let go of this voice in my head that was like, but how am I here? Like, I'm just a country girl. So it was be, it was really good for me to let that go, to have that moment. That was 2006. And to encourage other people, like, don't say you're just a mum or just a country girl <laughs> or just, um, I'm just in this country town. No, you have 
all the opportunities in front of you. You can do what it is that's in your heart to do. So, yeah, that um, that took me everywhere after that. Wow. I mean, such an amazing start to this part of your career. And I'm curious how you originally found that initial coach who was the trainer for the coaching institute. Like, how did you connect with that particular person? Yeah, I'll just say the Neuro Leadership Institute because there is a coaching institute here as well that got it. Later. Um, but it wasn't called the Neuro Leadership then; it was called Results Coaching Systems, so, and that went global before they um, before they connected with neuroscientists. And that's another whole amazing story that I was part of that I'm forever grateful for. Um, so I actually that first night that I went to in Sydney with granddad so David Rock was speaking and um, another amazing coach called Mary she was kind of like so warm and um, beautiful connector and Dave was very academic so they were like chalk and cheese and presented so beautifully together and then um, I talked to another coach who you know wanted me to hire her and I said you know I don't come to Sydney that often she's like no we can do it on the phone I just thought I couldn't and she said well George is out at Orange and I'm like okay great I'll work with Georgia. So I'd already decided that Georgia was my coach before I met her. <laughs> and, and then I found out that she's actually global head of training and just brilliant. So she modeled the coach training and the coaching so well. Wow. I, it's um, the risk you took to go and, you know, took this octogenarian with you uh, 90 minutes away into the city at night, like not an easy yes to, to make. Um, that you connected with the people in that room and followed up and committed to coaching, even though you weren't quite sure what the whole thing even was about. Like th there's a bit of like, um, there's intuition and then there's follow through. And so yeah. I think like there are moments where you're like, I think, okay, let's try it. You know, and then yeah. you try the next thing you try the next thing. And, and then you ended up surrounded in this community, but you didn't just passively, you know, I mean, phone it in is the phrase we have now for, right? for when people don't really commit to doing the work. You, you went to everything, you showed up so that they were like, wow, you're really enthusiastic. Let's make you an assistant, you know? So, yeah. so you're being recognized for your participation, for your active engagement, for your encouragement of others. And it's not surprising at all that you ended up coaching these fellow coaches because yeah. you become a resource. And then it's really a lot easier to get um, the word of mouth happening because you're, you're pouring a lot of energy into a particular community. People appreciate that. And the word of mouth kind of comes the referrals and you start to really specialize on the kind of thing that people need because you're learning. Like the first time you coached an author, you didn't know anything about the process, but then even before you wrote your own books, you probably had gone through that a few more times with other clients. And it's like, then of course you finally did it yourself. And then you get to share your own sense. And, um, it's also really interesting to hear you talk about, I know you you were sort of trained in a pure, I, I call it pure coaching. I have a master's in social work background and um, never planned to be a therapist or a clinician, but it definitely informs the way I coach, but I yeah. was not trained on pure coaching. And so my coaching is much more coaching slash mentor slash training, depending on what people need. Um, those lines can get really blurry when you don't have the like, clear process like you're like you're trained to have um but it's fun because now you, you i guess it was good in the beginning for you is that you didn't have to know a thing to ask the right questions that you really yes. are about guiding people to to the answers they already kind of have but they just need the space to come to that answer 
And that's yeah. where coaching is. So it's a very powerful space to be in. Um, and you also said chalk and cheese, I think was the phrase you used. I've never heard this phrase. I don't know if it's a common phrase from where you are, but I totally knew what you meant as soon as you said it. So I had to underscore it because it's like my new favorite phrase now. Like, you know, <laughs> he he was very you know, academic and she was very like personable and they were chalk and cheese. And I'm like, of course they were. <laughs> I love I love these colloquialisms. <laughs> yeah, and see, the thing is, we we don't know what we don't know. So we don't know if our expressions are, you know, kind of native to our country or things kind of global because we have so much television. Uh, yeah. You know, especially we get a lot from you guys. Then we're like, where where do I know that from? Where is that expression from? So I don't know, <laughs> but. I ended up being part of that chalk and cheese because that was David and I in Singapore and, um, you know, other capital cities in Australia. David would share, you know, the, the very corporate, professional, academic perspective and then I would get up. And so I felt like so inadequate, but I realised what was happening here because I would just share, you know, for example, this coaching client who's an optometrist and, She's been working on this and this and, and it's been so rewarding to see these breakthroughs and she, now she's doing this. And so I'm just like sharing excitement and sharing my own transformations. And people would come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I really felt like coaching was for me. I felt like this is, you know, I came tonight because I thought this is me. But when David was speaking, I thought, oh, maybe it's too corporate for me, too academic. And some people said, oh, Kerry, you're not really corporate enough. Um, but David kept inviting me <laughs> because he sold to half the room, I sold to the other half. Right. And I was very quickly making record sales for the company because I was just filling in. They lost their national sales manager and I said, oh, just send me some names. I'm happy to follow people up. I don't want anyone to say you didn't get back to them. I don't want anyone to miss this amazing opportunity. So I was just making all the calls and filling all the classes and unknowingly making sales records. And so David says, you know, we need to carry in Singapore also. And, um, and the global team were like, no, 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 she's doing great in Australia. Let's just do that. So I spent a year of, um, yeah, really connecting, not just with the coaching community, but people who wanted to know about the training, who wanted to sign up for it. And um, and then one day I came home from a meeting downtown. I'd met someone at the Chamber of Commerce and they said, you know, oh, we want to get a professional speaker to do this. And as we talked about it, I said, you know, I'm thinking of some people I can recommend from Melbourne and, and Sydney but, um, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you about that because, and then I talked to them about coaching. So they actually signed up for 10 weeks of coaching because the CEO said, actually, let's not just do the Christmas event. Can you just come in every week for the next 10 weeks to work with the team? And um, I'm like, sure. And, uh, and then he said, so, you know, how much would that cost? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I didn't say that. I just... Um, I probably picked this up from Build Your Practice or, you know, one of the coaching conversations I had. And I just went, um, well, I can I can get back to you. Like, so can you give me a guide? Like, what's your budget for this? And he's like, I don't know, 10? Would that do? Like $10,000? I was like, yeah, I can I can work with that. Um, and, you know, so I sent him a couple of proposals from like, you know, 9000 to 12000 and I think he picked the biggest one. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but after... After the first session, I came in the house and my husband just looked at me and he goes, you need to do more of that. He's like, I know you're doing well with, you know, the, the consulting role, but he said, when you're actually coaching, you're so much more alive than when you're talking about coaching. 
And I was like, yep, yep, I get that. <laughs> and it's like, well, I was only filling in for a little while and I said that I would do it for the year. So um, so then they replaced me with four people like across different regions. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know you really were doing quite the job and they need multiple people to fill the role. Um, yeah. I want to make sure in the time that we have left that we talk about um, specifically like building relationships and networking, because this is yep. definitely a, a, a skill set and ex expertise of yours. And of course, you know, we'll have the links to your books in the show notes. But when you're thinking about your network and you've got sort of the inner circle, the people that you know you're going to stay in touch with. But then I always wonder about the second and third tier or second and third layers of people, the people that you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you're not working with them currently. And I should mention, these are people that you like, <laughs> yeah. you enjoy spending time with. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining connections with sort of these, these wider parts of your network, any habits, philosophies, or practices? I'm, I'm not great with, you know, habits and processes, but I, like, I'm really grateful for social media because that helps. Um, but yeah, like I, if I'm thinking of like, I'm always, and this morning I was journaling when I woke up, I journaled about how I like, I always wake up thinking about people and conversations. And so there's something going on in my, like I'm maybe dreaming about a conversation with people or I'm somewhere and there's people everywhere. Um, but yeah, like I'll, whenever, I, whenever I can, if I think of somebody, I might just send them, I take photos of flowers when I'm out and about and, um, you know, I might just send someone a photo of flowers and just go, hey, thinking of you, hope you're having a great day. Um, so that's that's one thing that I do. Um, yeah, sometimes I might just send somebody something, you know, if seen, that I've seen online and I'm like, oh, hey, Robbie, you'd like this. Um, yeah, and, and also it's just holding things lightly. You know, we don't know what's going on for other people. They don't know what's going on for us. And I think people know, I, I hope that people know that they can, you know, reach out anytime, but I know that people can make assumptions like, oh, Kerry's been seeing all these airports recently or whatever. She's too busy for me. And it's like, well, that's, that's a shame because they're, they're counting themselves out without checking. Um, yeah. If people message and say, you know, Hey, do you have a few minutes for a chat? Then it's like, yeah, let's, let's go with spontaneity. That often works. Or um, can I send my calendar link? And then you can find a time that works in your time zone. You know, I think that's the best thing <laughs> rather than like, what time is that there? And then when does daylight savings start? It's complicated. Just use the online link. <laughs> um, yeah, just just being open and and also, again, listening to myself and knowing when I need quiet time. There's, there's that also because I don't, I'm no use to anyone if I'm showing up exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to tell you this story because I love how we connected, um, you know, over that, you know, shared love of networking, connecting with people. And so I was at a function in Canberra a couple of weeks ago and I told somebody about bagels and croissants. <laughs> so I was with um, a lot of former soldiers actually and, and some of them had confided in me that they were really quite nervous about connecting. So I'm not sure if my book had come up at that point, but people often just share with me how they feel about the night. I might have said, you know, who do you want to connect with tonight? Um, you know, is this is this your first time? It's only my second time at this event. And the first guy I talked to, I saw him on his own as I was heading in. I was talking to my husband on the phone. I went, okay, got to go, don't I? And I thought I would talk to this guy while he's on his own. And I went over and I said, hi. I said, are you here for the 
the veterans event, uh, um, what's it called, Defence Industry. Um, I said, are you here for the Defence Industry Networking? And he said, yeah. And I said, and you don't know anyone here yet? And he's like, oh, I said, and like me, you don't know anyone here yet? And he's like, yeah. Anyway, so he was really happy to connect. And then I met his colleagues who said, yeah, I actually felt really nervous about coming. It's like these guys have charged into the most challenging situations, but they had a very clear focus. Sometimes you go into a networking event, it's like, it's all unknown. <laughs> you know, maybe you're going in representing a company, but it's so important, I think, to to go in with that openness to uncertainty and, you know, to, to being agile and going with whatever the conversations are. Because, you know, if somebody charges in with their one focus into a networking event, you just go, oh, gosh, all they want to talk about is their thing. <laughs> um, but later in the night, I was talking to that guy I'd connected with at the beginning, and we're talking about, you know, talking and getting to know people here and how it was a great environment for doing that. And I said, see these guys over here? I said, that's what you'd call a croissant. And if they're like bunched in shoulder to shoulder, I said, that's a bagel. I said, we don't want that because, you know, we don't ever want to be part of that because we're not creating space. And um, so I said, you know, Robbie's written a book called, uh, is it Croissants and Bagels? Croissants versus Bagels. Versus, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was like, Oh, that's brilliant. And I'm like, yeah, I've got to tell Robbie about that. <laughs> that's so fun that it's across the world. People are having yes. these conversations and that it's uh, a common enough breakfast food that everyone knows what it is, no matter where they are globally. Um, yeah, that's right. And it's, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a very sticky concept. I, I started talking about it in, I don't know, like 2006 and seven and finally wrote a book about it that came out in 2017 um, croissants versus bagels, strategic, effective, and inclusive networking at conferences. And I'll put a link in the show notes for folks who are realizing that now that events are happening again in person, we need to freshen up how we do this because it is nerve wracking without a good plan or a sense of how to, how to, you know, make the, make the space work for you. Um, yeah. here's my favorite right. wrap up question. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, it's just back to like the very beginning of the conversation when we talked about influence, you know, it's just, and, and posture it's just shifting the shoulder so it much. can be all it takes just to be aware to like just open up to create space for somebody to join you and um yeah. you know that can be quite influential for somebody who's coming going i don't know who to talk to so yeah it's good to be aware of that yeah you get to be one of the hosts in the room just by being aware of the people around yep. you so as we wrap up my favorite wrap-up question uh, I know we're going to stay connected. We're both part of the Global Super Connectors community. Jessica Fabrizi has helped us all gather together from across literally the world. Uh, and let's say it's a year from now and I suddenly realize, wow, you know, it's been a year since I interviewed you. I want to know during that conversation, what are we going to be celebrating on your behalf? What, what are we going to be toasting? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Ah, oh, gosh. If I told you about this past year, I'd be able to answer that, but it's like the, this is like a um, can of worms. Do you use that expression? You've just opened a can of worms. <laughs> um, I think I would I would say that I'll be telling you about a trip to India. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen in the next in the next year. We haven't been really travelling internationally from here yet. I know a lot of people are. Um, but, yeah, my let's celebrate my latest book, um, reaching all corners of the globe. It's, um, I mean, it's already had like a press release that that showed up in so many different countries. It was amazing. Um, thanks to Ganesh, who's one of the partners. So Ganesh contributed his stories to the book and wrote about Jessica because I introduced him to Jessica 
um, and I'd met up with her a few times in Singapore and Sydney. Uh, and that book, yeah, is it's something that I want to keep celebrating and keep sharing because that's the how to talk to strangers because people are like, how do I reconnect? How do I re-engage with the world? Uh, and the subtitle is what really it's all about for me and that's to decrease anxiety, build confidence and make a bigger difference in the world. So, you know, you mentioned anxiety earlier. Yes, it's massive. And just a small interaction with somebody, like in the dental surgery holding hands or like passing someone in the street and giving them a smile, it can decrease the anxiety. If they are walking down the street thinking, you know, the world is an awful place and everybody hates me and then they see somebody just go, good morning, it can really diminish that anxiety. And that's a gift that we can give each other and, uh, and ourselves because there's always somebody who can smile at us too and help us decrease our anxiety or you know answer a question that solves a problem wow. yeah and building confidence we can do that for each other and ourselves and make a big I difference can, create the ripple I effect i cannot wait to celebrate all that with you um i love the idea of helping get this book out into the world we'll definitely put a link to it in the show notes how else can people find you and follow your work linkedin twitter instagram facebook all the places, but I would say, please send a personal note. So you stand out. Don't just be another follower. Say, Robbie sent me, or I heard the conversation with Robbie. And um, then you're going to get a quick response from me. Brilliant. We'll put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. Thank you, Robbie. You've asked so many great questions and uh, yeah, a really valuable conversation. Thank you so much. I look forward to sharing it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carrie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 305. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.